the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about the Down to the River to Pray, that's Alison Krauss, a, soundtrack, a song from the soundtrack of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? This Thursday evening in Boca Raton, T-Bone Burnett will be at the Meisner Park Amphitheater, and T-Bone put together the soundtrack for the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So I'll start by saying thank you for, for repopularizing folk music for everybody. <laughs> well, you know, there's, you're very, you're incredibly welcome. The pleasure was all mine, if that's what happened. And, um, you know, this folk music is a deep and long river that sometimes actually narrows down to a trickle in places, but it's been around for a long time. It, it ebbs and flows, and it's an incredibly important part of who we are as a people. Well, folk music, the definition has changed over the years, and the uh, more current times, it's more difficult to define it, but it seems like you have a handle on it. How would you describe what current folk music is? I would say it's music that comes up out of the street. Hip-hop is certainly folk music. It's music that comes from the the people rather than the academy, I would say. Does hip-hop have much roots to the to the African history in America, the, the blues music. Do you see a correlation between rap and blues? Oh, it's incredibly, yes, of course. Well, you know, you can trace hip-hop back to the, the toasts in the early days of the African-Americans here when they would sing songs in patois that the, that the white people couldn't be able to understand so that they would have their own language. And, um, you know, the toasts, some of the toasts were incredibly dirty as well and funny, you know. And there was one. There was an important one called "Signifying Monkey," that was underground for, you know, decades and decades until Chuck Berry popularized it in the 1950s as a song called "Jojo Gun," and then Dylan took took that basic form and wrote "Subterranean Homesick Blues," and then you know the last poets adopted it in the late 60s and early 70s, and in the late 70s Elvis Costello adopted it for. Uh, pump it up. But rap music came very much out of that tradition of the toast. Right now, it doesn't seem as if blues is as popular as it used to be, I guess because the current music demands rap rather than old blues form. Yeah, I don't know about the... I I hardly follow, follow the popularity of anything, I have to say, but the great blues artists stand in high relief now, Buddy Waters and Alan Wolf. Those guys, you know, it's clear now that those artists were monumental American figures, where at the time they were marginalized and had to be careful just driving down the road, you know. But Pop Staples was a king of America. Even though they lived modest lives, I think their, their legacy will enrich us forever. 
I'm speaking with T-Bone Burnett. T-Bone is going to be appearing in South Florida this Thursday evening, March 1st at 7 p.m. at the Meisner Park Amphitheater in Boca Raton. It's billed as short stories, movies, and music. What kind of presentation will you be doing? I, I think of it as a video DJ presentation. You know, The subtext of it all, the underlying message is collaboration. I'm, I'm, I'm reviewing the parts of films I've worked on and the projects that have come out of them in light of the collaboration that took place while we were doing them. You've had some incredible collaborations. started with the Coen Brothers' Big Lebowski and, of course, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You've uh, also done music for Cold Mountain, Walk the Line, Inside Lewin Davis. These are movies that feature the, the music. Well, that's right. I'm, as much as I would like to be a film composer, I'm, I'm not that. I, I I like nothing more than putting music to image and, and composing for films, but it's a that's a deep gift all its own, and I've, I've only touched that. But most of the calls I get are for films that are, are uh, music-centric. Well, I, I think the exception were the Hunger Games. What, how, what was the challenge of doing the music for the Hunger Games? Well, you know, that was still another group project, and then brief originally on the Hunger Games was to bring together a group of contemporary artists to address an imaginary future in Appalachia, which was interesting, an interesting challenge. I love the idea of what is Appalachia going to sound like in 50 years. <laughs> you know, and Danny Elfman and I originally started, we were scoring it together and putting all the music together, and Danny dropped out for for reasons I'm not quite certain of, but uh, and I missed him. I missed I missed Danny. But that was uh, that was originally much the much the same idea, except rather than looking at the past, looking to the future. T Bone Burnett is on the line. It's interesting here. You say that you don't produce music to be popular, yet when you produce music for movies, that is what makes the music popular. Well, that's right. The movie theater is a great radio station. And and one of the things we were able to do with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is because we had those, because our medium was going to be the theater, our venue was going to be the movie theater, we were able to make that old-style country music in a lot bigger sonic spectrum than, than they made it in when they originally did it back in the 20s and 30s. We were able to put a, a lot more bass on and, and make it sound more like a modern record, like a rock and roll record or something. And so although you're not interested in popular music, you're making music popular through the movies. W were you surprised about how good you were at doing movies? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'm good at it. As, as I was saying, you know, the movie theater is a great radio station and you have a a big sound system and people in the dark, in the quiet for an hour and a half. And it's an incredible opportunity to be able to hip them to things they might not have heard before and and to have a context to, to uh, relate it in is, is a great, is a gift. The, the music industry has changed so much. And even from what I understand, music in movies is changing, and it's it's not as profitable as it used to be. Is is that accurate? I don't know. You know, I I never uh, see anything about the profit. I don't pay any attention to that part of it. 
How do you choose your your uh, entertainment? I know you were did a lot with the Civil Wars, and they're not even longer together again. How, how did you yeah. find the Civil Wars? I heard them. Um, how did I? I don't know how I first heard them, but that was one of the best live acts I've, I had ever seen, and uh, they wrote extraordinarily passionate, beautiful music. Uh, I'm still working with John Paul quite a bit. Are you still working on uh, the Miami series that you started, Deep yeah. City? Yeah, it's the it's a working title, Deep City. Yeah, we're working on that, and uh, it's with Amazon at the moment, and I hope we're still developing it. But I'm working with uh, Emilio Estefan on the music, which is a great opportunity for me to learn a whole new world of music. I'm very much looking forward to that collaboration when, when we blend our two worlds. You worked with uh, Jeff Bridges on Crazy Heart. Were you friends with Jeff Bridges previously? Yeah, I'd met Jeff in the 70s, in the 1970s, and we had done a movie together called Heaven's Gate, if you remember that, in the late 70s. I enjoyed it, and but we, that got bad reviews, that movie. Well, you know, Heaven's Gate, yeah, that's right. It got it. it was part of uh, bringing down a, a film studio, in fact. But, but, <laughs> but it was an interesting movie, and... And I made a lot of good friends. We were up there in Kalispell, Montana, for six months. So we became um, we became a sort of a band, I guess. There was a, there were about ten musicians up there, and we spent a lot of time playing music together. And Jeff and I became good friends through that process. And then uh, we worked on the Big Lebowski together, which was great fun. And then when the chance came up to do this, to do a film about a guy writing a song uh, you know uh, there was no i couldn't think of anybody better to do it than jeff and so we we were able to cook that up the two of us with scott cooper the three of us i would say another favorite of folk music fans is inside lewin davis and to me as a experienced folk music person it you mirrored a lot of actual bands from the late 50s, early 60s, yet yeah. it caused controversy because you did mirror those bands. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. And, I mean, there were some people who said there were, it was a lot more fun, you know, but we weren't telling a story about a, the fun part of that, of the Washington Square folk scene. We were talking about uh, this particular guy, and, we, and, and more than anything, we were talking about artists and and the challenges we face, and the challenges that artists face then. This guy was up in New York for all this time, and then, you know, working in cabarets and comedy clubs and all that, jazz clubs, and then a guy walks in from Minnesota and, and shifts the whole course of the river away from you. That was the story we were telling, which is basically the story of almost every artist's life. <laughs> Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen said it was a story of his life except with a happy ending. <laughs> you also made a South Florida actor famous, uh, Oscar Isaac, who uh, grew up here in Miami. Uh, he started as Lewin Davis. That's right. He, he did, that, the thing he did there, learning to play all that material and shooting it live is one of the most extraordinary accomplishments I've ever seen anybody do in music. You know, I couldn't do what he did in, uh, in that movie. Well, he was just acting. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was acting. And, you know, I, I don't know, I hardly know any musician who could learn uh, a repertoire that well and play it that consistently because the Coens wanted to shoot it live. And 
thing about filming music is you always have to use some kind of clock so that you can cut from take to take. But the Coens wanted to film this documentary style without any clock, so I was sitting just off camera timing measures for Oscar to make sure he didn't speed up or slow down, and he didn't speed up or slow down once in the whole in the whole shoot. That's not very folk music-like. No, it's completely actorly-like. I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that he was able to embody this this music the way he did. It's, yeah, it's completely unfolk music like, but as it ended up in the film, it was it was folk music. So. I'm speaking with T Bone Burnett. T Bone will be in South Florida Thursday, March 1st, at the Meisner Park Amphitheater in Boca Raton. You seem to have really set new ground when it comes to doing soundtracks and movies. Did you have a mentor? You know, I would have to say my mentors weren't in that area. My mentor, Sam Shepard, was one of my primary mentors. He taught me the theater, and he taught me about storytelling through music. Jacques Levy was one of my mentors, who who was the director of the Rolling Thunder Review show, and taught me how to tell a story, how to tell a cohesive narrative through different artists and different songs. And yet have a show together that has a beginning, middle, and an end, and and leads you through it. So, the Coens have been mentors. As much as, as much as anything, I would look to them as mentors for how does music and film fit together. You mentioned the Rolling Thunder Review. That, of course, was uh, was Bob Dylan's making. Uh, back in '76, was that when was the Rolling Thunder Review? Started, I, th- I think it started in '75 and '76. And and you were part of the Rolling Thunder Review. So what what was it like meeting Dylan, and how has your relationship changed with Dylan over the years? Well, I met Bob at a friend's wedding in the early 70s, and we had many mutual friends, So, and we had incredibly uh, mutual interests as well. Uh, I think our tastes in music are similar. And, and uh, you know, getting to work on that show, that was my first job in show business. So it was, an, it was like a master's degree in, in uh, performance. What was your job on Rolling Thunder Review? Well, I played guitar and I played guitar in the house band. You know, <laughs> I was a side man. And you know, they uh, also they uh, Bob gave everybody in the in the band a song or two to do and during the show. So it was Bob at his most generous, sharing his stage with with a group of young artists and a group of old friends who he had come up with in New York in the in the 60s. So You didn't have anything to do with Ronaldo and Clara, did you? Other than sort of semi-acting in a few scenes, no, I didn't. But see, this, once again, the Rolling Thunder Review had all the elements of everything I've done since in my life. It was a film, a record, a television show, and several tours. So... You know, that's what we did with Oh Brother Where Art. That was a film. And then we did another film called Down from the Mountain, and it was several tours and uh, a few records. Also inside Lewin Davis, you had a, a separate yeah. concert with that. Yeah, same thing. Same with Cold Mountain. I've essentially replicated what I learned in the Rolling Thunder Review for the rest of my life. Are you surprised? I mean, you say you're not involved in the the business end of it, but... Oh, Brother was such a big hit, and you've been involved in so many projects. Are you surprised when something like Inside Lewin Davis isn't as big as Oh, Brother Were Art Thou? 
Well, I, you know, I never I actually expected a brother where art thou to, to penetrate the zeitgeist because I thought at the time that we had an extraordinary group of talent and there hadn't been a light shown on that group of talent in, uh, in many years. And I thought if we shine a strong light on them, people are going to love this. So I had very positive feelings about Oh, brother, where art thou? As far as being, you know, commercial or whatever you want to call it, Lewin Davis was was very much a, a private kind of movie. It was a per, a personal kind of movie, and I didn't expect it to reach a, as wide an audience as Oh, brother, where art thou? Did I'm on the phone with T Bone Burnett. T Bone is going to be in concert this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Doors open at six at Meisner Park Amphitheater in Boca Raton. Information at 561-368-8445. One of your most recent collaborations is Lost on the River. It's billed as the new Basement Tapes. And if, if I'm correct, the original Basement Tapes that Bob Dylan made back in the uh, mid-'70s, I believe, that, was that the first bootleg recordings, the Basement Tapes? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was in the, mid, in the mid-'60s when he had a motorcycle accident and had been on a on an incredible ride through the culture for the first part of the 60s. He decided to repair to Woodstock and hole up, and he just wrote songs, and he was writing songs for other people, and he wrote Tears of Rage uh, for Julie Driscoll and um, Quentin the Eskimo for Manfred Mann, and had, had several had several hits out of the songs he was writing and recording up there, and they were recording them as demos, and sending him out to artists, and some some entrepreneurs in Los Angeles gathered up all the demos and turned them into a record that's been known as the Basement Tapes, and it was the first bootleg record, and it sold, uh, you know, it sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Well, a couple of years ago, Bob and his publisher found a box that said 1967. And they opened it, and it was stacks and stacks of things that Bob had written in in that same period of time that they never set to music. And so they decided to, maybe they should be set to music, and they sent them to me and said, what can you do? And I thought, well, you know, what we can do is we can put a band together like the band was, where everybody in the band is, is capable of being a front man with, with several singers and and let's just go. Let's just go demo them all. Let's just go cut them all. So we we went in for about ten days and cut almost fifty songs. It's a fascinating collection. It and it really opened my eyes to what a businessman Albert Grossman was and his intention of selling Bob Dylan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was good at that. And uh, you know, it was Jim James and Rhiannon Giddens, Marcus Mumford, uh, Elvis Costello, and. Taylor Goldsmith, all people who I'd worked with before, except for Taylor, but I'd worked with all the other artists in collaborative situations, and I knew they were all band leaders who could nevertheless collaborate. And so we put them together. Did you have fun? It was tremendous fun, yeah, and I do. I'm very happy with the results, and there's there's another record and another film that's waiting in the archives to be released when the time's right. T-Bone Burnett. Well, let's listen to a song from Lost on the River, the new basement tapes, songs written by Bob Dylan, and just put to music uh, on the new CD here called Lost on the River. T-Bone, thank you so much for taking time to talking to us. 
so happy to talk with you.